Hey, what is up, you guys? It is Bobby Andrews here coming at you live from RJ Sports Podcast. Today is November 1st, 2018. I'm here with my special guest, Colin Sanders. He's my roommate, MLS, and college football enthusiast, so he'll be here helping us out today. Like I promised, I'd have a special guest. So yeah, let's jump in. Um, On this day in sports, uh, what is regarded as one of the greatest horse races in history, Seabiscuit beat the Triple Crown winner, War Admiral, by three lengths in, uh, in 1938. Um, they made a movie out of it. That's how, you know, a, how big of an upset it was. It was this sort of message that, you know, you can upset and it doesn't matter who you are. There's always a chance that you can come back and beat, you know, the better opponent. So, if you haven't seen that movie, it's a great movie. You should go watch it. Um, but anyways, we will jump in to some... Or we'll, we'll get into the overview real quick. Let me ch- share with you guys what we'll be talking about today. We're going to talk about some hot topics in sports. Then we're going to transition into some college football with Colin. Uh, he's going to share a lot about what he knows in college football. Then we'll jump into some NBA league news, games, and is Derrick Rose on the rise? We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into that segment. Then we'll talk about some NFL football uh, league news, and Thursday Night Football is on tonight. So we'll be uh, discussing whether it's worth watching. Um, And then we have MLB league news and hot stove to talk about. Um, it's the off season, so not too much is going on, but uh, we'll, we're definitely going to touch on it, of course, since baseball is the main reason this podcast is going on. Anyways, we'll jump into these hot topics. So, I discussed in my last podcast, New York City FC was playing Philadelphia Union, and they beat Philadelphia Union. New York City FC defeated Philadelphia Union 3-1. to and the Portland Timbers defeated FC Dallas 2-1. to one. Um, Colin's here with us to share a little bit about those games. So the those two games are part of the knockout round of the MLS playoffs. If you don't know how it works, knockout round, it's a winner-take-all game. It's like the wild card. So each team plays one time, and the winner goes to the next round to play the first and second seed of uh, the West and the East Division. So, New York City FC will play Atlanta in a two-game series. And if you don't know how that works, it'll be the score from the first game and the score from the second game. You'll add together your team's goals and the other team's goals, and you'll subtract them. And whoever had the most goals will advance to the next round. So, Atlanta and NYC FC will be playing tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. Sunday and November 11th, which is next Sunday. And Portland will be playing Sporting KC uh, Sunday and next Sunday. So NYCFC was the winner of the East last year, and they played in the MLS Cup. And they're a really good team. They're the third seed coming out of the East. So it'll be a tough um, little series for Atlanta, who will be getting back Miguel Marone and Hector Vialba for the playoff run, which is honestly really big because I know Bobby, me, you, Griffin, we went to the game, their last home regular season game, and it's a completely different team. 
honestly, um, watching them throughout the season. Without Almiron in the middle to facilitate um, the attack, it's kind of stagnant, and they got into playing a defensive game against the Chicago Fire, which they should have um, dominated, to be completely honest with you. So with Almiron back, they should be primed for a pretty good playoff run. But with um, the other knockout round game that's happening tonight, DC United and Columbus Crew, they'll have a little bit more trouble if they make it past NYCFC and make it into the finals round because the winner of DC United and Columbus Crew will be playing the Red Bulls, at the New York Red Bulls, who are the number one seed in the East this year. And they have been a thorn in Atlanta's side since Atlanta has become a team. They beat us in the first game ever that they played at Bobby Dodd. And they beat us this year at their place. And it's just been tough because they are one of the only teams that Atlanta really, really struggles against. And so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the playoffs go. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Miguel Almiron um, is one of our top scorers. And he's in... Him and Joseph Martinez are in the talks for being MLS MVP this year, so definitely not having a ML or a, uh, an MVP candidate in our starting our starting lineup is a little tough. But getting him back will definitely be huge for the playoffs. And we also have another game on tonight. It's going to be LAFC versus Real Salt Lake on the 10:30 p.m. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything on um. that game. Other than LAFC has had a really good year, this being their first year in the league with Carlos Vela and um, one of the Dos Santos brothers is on that team, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, Real Salt Lake isn't super strong, as far as I know. And I know that the West is kind of weak um, altogether. So I would think that LAFC would have a pretty uh, easy going here to make it into the second round to play against Seattle. But... As with everything, there's no definite, there's no absolute that they'll walk out of there with a victory because it's a one-game series, anything can happen. True, very true. So those are our hot topics. Um, MLS is, we don't really talk about MLS on this podcast very much, um, but it's, you know, we're getting into the nitty-gritty playoffs, and, you know, playoffs are always fun no matter what sport. So definitely good to talk about those, um, those games coming up. And then next we're going to talk about some college football, new segment I haven't really talked about or touched on much, just because this podcast is long enough as is, so I don't really have time to talk about college football, but we're going to talk about it, we're going to start talking about it more and more since the MLB season has now winded down and we are in the off season. So Colin's going to talk about some of the games, what games do you see are the games to watch this weekend? Well, I think this has to be one of the greatest college football weekends. Definitely of the year, probably of the last five years. We've got three top 25 matchups, and it would be three top 10 matchups if Penn State was still in the top 10. Three top 15, actually. And we have a few upset games that we're going to look at. So first is Penn State at Michigan. And this is going to be a tough game for Penn State. They've had four straight weeks of losses or close games. 
first being Ohio State. They blew that lead at home. Then they lose to Michigan State. And then they survive Indiana two weeks ago. And we were watching the little bit of the end of the Iowa-Penn State game. And if they hadn't had an interception in the red zone, then Iowa could have won that game. So I think that could affect how they're feeling like as a team. Are they together? Do they trust the coaching staff to lead them? Because especially in that Ohio State game, um, the play calling late in that game got a little um, suspect. So the players may be questioning whether or not they have the coaches that want them to win. And on the Michigan side, they've been the, like one of the hottest teams in college football since their loss against Notre Dame, who's another top four team right now. Um, their offense isn't the greatest. Uh, I thought earlier in the year with Shea Patterson transferring that they would be a force to be reckoned with because that has been their Achilles heel the last couple of years, has been a kind of anemic offense with mediocre quarterbacks. But this year, it hasn't, it's been better, but it hasn't been what you would think it was with Shea Patterson being the player he is and the success he had at Ole Miss. So that'll be interesting to watch on Saturday. Um, yeah, I'm definitely interested to watch this game. Um, I mean, the one of the top Big Ten teams, Michigan, uh, they're, if not the best Big Ten team. I think it'll be super fun to watch Penn State and Michigan face off. Um, I Michigan's just been rolling, um, and it was it was fun to watch them beat Michigan State. Although Michigan State is one of my one of the teams that I enjoy watching um, in any sport. It was it was fun to see Michigan beat up on them because of the rivalry in that game. So we'll see how that they're they're on high morale. So we'll see how that transitions into this Penn State uh, matchup. Do you have any score prediction for that game? Yeah, I think Michigan is going to win this one at home, thirty-one fourteen. Michigan's defense is. It's real. It is a real, real force to be reckoned with. And Penn State's got Trace McSorley, Miles, Miles, Sander, Miles Sanders, and a couple of weapons on the outside, but I don't think it'll be enough to beat Michigan at home. So our next game is going to be Georgia at Kentucky, which is a top 10 matchup. And this one is going to have significance for the first time in probably – at least five to ten years because this is going to be for the SEC East crown and it's interesting for Georgia because um, they've had a really tough stretch of games this will be their third straight top ten matchup and Jake Fromm's finally starting to play like the quarterback he was last year that led him to the national championship game and the team seems to have a lot of confidence but the defense was a little suspect last week. As Bobby can attest, Florida ran all over them. They were just gashing them for six, seven yards each time. And if Felipe Franks had played a little better, that game might have been closer or had gone another way. So I think one of the biggest questions for Georgia this week is can they contain the run enough to make Kentucky's quarterback 
pass and beat them in the air because he's not a very strong passer. He got benched last week in their win against Missouri, and he came back and led them down the field to help him win the game. But still, he was not... He's like Felipe Franks. He's a little bit um, rough around the edges as a passer, but can still affect the game in uh, a few different ways with his legs and so forth. Uh, and we watched the uh, Florida-Georgia game last week, and I, I'm questioning... I, I want to see how the offense does, considering Florida... You, Georgia was on the half-yard line, and we went through... Two consecutive four downs, and we to to score. We needed we needed eight plays to score. Um, if it wasn't for a, um, I think was it eight or was it was it six? it might have been six. It was six plays, and in the first set there was pass interference on the right. down. The pass interference was automatic first down, which gave us an, another set of downs. Uh, so. I mean, in the red zone, especially, you know, when we're when we're close to that, to when we're that close to the end zone, I I questioned some of the some of the play calls that we were making, um, and we were using DeAndre Swift in the wrong way. We should have been using Holyfield, uh, as Holyfield can just run over guys. Um, and Swift is more of a dancing running back, and in the open field, he can fly. So we were using Swift when I think we should have been using Holyfield. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what play calls they make. I was a little interested to see that when Florida was just stopping us on the half yard line. Uh, we couldn't get anything. So um, that'll be something I pay attention to in this this matchup. Uh, like Colin said, SEC East. This will this this is this is a season-defining game for both of these teams, and I I'm very excited to see how this one shakes out. It's essentially a playoff elimination game because Georgia's already got one loss. They need to win the SEC championship game yeah, to get in the playoff. Definitely. And Kentucky is the same way. They they have one loss as well. So this is big. And it can't be stressed enough how much this game means to both teams. Kentucky hasn't had this kind of meaningful game this late in the year in a long, long time. Very true, very true. The next game we're going to talk about is West Virginia, number 13 West Virginia against Texas, which is ranked number 17. So this game, if you had asked me what this game would be like at the beginning of the year, I probably would have said a meaningless game. I would have thought that West Virginia is about where they are, 13, because they have an extremely, extremely good offense. Will Greer is going to be one of the top quarterbacks taken off the board in this next year's draft. Um, he's a great player. He's got a big arm. He's like, I don't want to compare him to Patrick Mahomes straight up because Patrick Mahomes has had a legendary start of his NFL career, but he's a similar quarterback in the sense that he can just let it rip all across the field. And Texas's defense isn't really great against the pass. And they've had some troubles holding some teams this year. And they've had some big wins against teams like West Virginia that can put up points like Oklahoma. But 
if they have to play from behind, I don't think that they can keep up with West Virginia. In that Oklahoma game, they came up and got up early, and they controlled the flow of the game. Uh, Oklahoma made a little bit of a comeback at the end of the game, but Texas was still able to hold on. But last week against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State got up on them early and kept the pressure on them. And Texas came back a little bit at the end, made it a three-point game, but um, Oklahoma State still held on. So I think that if Texas can control the game like they did against Oklahoma, they will have success in this game. But if West Virginia gets up early and starts running up the score, I think it'll be uh, a bloodbath. I think Texas is very capable of winning this game against um, Western Virginia. The last five games that West Virginia played, um, they had one loss, and it was against Iowa State. And it was at Iowa State. And they lost 30-14. to And this game is going to be played in Texas around a Texas fan base. And, you know... That, that's it's it's a football state that is a football state so i i think texas is very capable of beating western virginia in this game um i think it'll be close considering western virginia is they're, they're a good team but it's going to be an away game so we'll see how this one shakes out do you have a score prediction for this game i think west virginia's got this 42 to 31 uh Especially if they get up early on Texas, they Texas won't be able to come back from that. Okay. All right. Next game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next game we have is the primetime matchup game, Alabama. Number one, Alabama versus number three, LSU. Big game, SEC matchup. This is a huge game. This is another playoff elimination game, especially for LSU, but for Alabama a little bit too. Um, Alabama's really been untested to this point of the year. They've played Texas A&M, Ole Miss, who are good teams, but they they blew those teams out of the park, and they really weren't tested. But this, this game against number three LSU in Death Valley at night will be a different beast than what Alabama has seen this year. Tua Tagovailoa has had one of the best seasons in the history of college football. I don't think he's played in the fourth quarter yet this year. Um, and he's been putting up video game numbers. But he hasn't faced a defense like LSU's yet. They've got a really good secondary with um, Greedy Williams, the cornerback, who's up there with DeAndre Baker as one of the best in the nation. And a, their safety, I don't remember his na- first name, but he's his last name's Delpit, and he's another top defensive back in the nation. So it's interesting to see how the Alabama receivers will face and fare against these defensive backs of LSU and how the whole team will respond to adversity if they have a fall behind because, like I said, Alabama has played ahead most of the um, time this year. I'm pretty sure they've only trailed by three plays for the whole season. So if LSU can jump on them first, I think it'll be an interesting game. But for LSU, without Devin White for the first half because of a questionable targeting call two weeks ago, I don't know how their defense will respond without 
a top 15 pick in the next year's draft and one of the best linebackers in the nation. I don't know how they're going to fare without him in the middle. And Joe Burrow has been a little bit un, um, inconsistent, inconsistent this year as well. In that Florida game, he didn't play super great. He threw that interception at the end to seal it for Florida. So if he can play well and keep Alabama off balance and not let them take away some of the things that he did against Georgia, some of the things he did against Auburn, I think LSU could have a chance at this game. But if LSU lets Alabama get up early and just run away with the game like they have in the previous weeks, I think it'll be a long night for LSU. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I It's tough to pick against Alabama considering the way that they've been playing this season. Um, like Colin said, to us putting up video game numbers, like it's it's insane. He hasn't they, they pull him. Like they're they win by so much they're they want to give, you know, Jalen a shot at quarterback. So they take him out and they put in Jalen and I mean they still perform their 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 depth, the Alabama's depth is off the charts. And I think uh LSU is going to if LSU can hold them points wise if they can hold them in the first and second quarters i think this will end up being a close game but alabama is such a good team that if they get started early there's no stopping them so do you have a score prediction for this game i can't i've thought about this for the whole week and i can't choose just straight up right now i would have like after the first few minutes of the game, I'll give you a score prediction. So if LSU can just hold them for five minutes because Alabama scored in the first five minutes or their first drive of most of their games this year, if LSU can force a turnover, get a quick three and out, and get the crowd into the game, I think that they can win this game 28-24. But if Alabama continues their dominance on the offensive side of the ball, I think it'll be a long night for LSU, and they'll lose 35-14. I think those are some very good score predictions. I like, I like your thought process on that. Um, next, we, we have a couple upset games to watch out for. Um, you want to dive into those? Yeah, so the first one's going to be Notre Dame at Northwestern. And the reason I chose this as an upset game is Northwestern has been playing great football the last few weeks. They're a five and three team, which may not seem like it's um, like a team that you would think would be able to upset Notre Dame, who's undefeated at this point. But their only three losses have been close games. They lost to Michigan and a couple and Purdue, who beat Ohio State. And so, at Northwestern, the game the game's at Northwest the game is at Northwestern, and. I think at night they're going to be pumped up. Notre Dame hasn't played a super competitive opponent opponent in a few weeks. They played Navy last week. They played a couple other teams before that who aren't great. So I think if Northwestern can um, keep their momentum from beating a few good teams these past couple weeks, 
like Wisconsin last week. We watched a little bit of that game. I think that they can give Notre Dame a pretty good game. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Um, looking at Northwestern's last five games, they beat number 20-ranked Wisconsin, and they they ran away with that ball game. Um, and they, uh, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, they beat number 20-ranked Michigan State, the now number 20-ranked Michigan State. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. Um, and I definitely agree with what Colin said by the, uh, the playing at Northwestern and not having, Notre Dame not having faced a great opponent within the last couple of weeks. I mean, Navy, they beat 44 to 22, but they played Pitt the week before and they won that game by five points. The score was 19 to 14 against Pitt. Now Pitt is I mean they're they're not ranked but they're no team to, you know, take out of a ball game. They're not they're not that bad of a team, but still it was still a close a close contest and I think Northwestern can definitely play against the the Notre Dame team at Northwestern. We'll see how this one shakes out. You have score prediction. I don't for this game actually. Um I just think if Northwestern can keep their momentum going from the wins against Wisconsin and Michigan State, then they'll have a pretty good chance. And, you know, Notre Dame's a really good running team, and with Ian Book coming into the quarterback spot this year, they've been a little bit more balanced. But if Northwestern can control the running game, I think that they've got a pretty good shot at winning this game. So our next game that I chose as a potential upset is number 16 Iowa at Purdue. Now, the reason I chose this game is because Purdue's kind of a feel-good story. Um, they beat Ohio State at home last, it was two weeks ago, I think. And in that game, they really ran away at the end. And I remember watching, specifically the fourth quarter, they were all in DeAndre, Dwayne Haskins' face. They were getting pressure on him. They were causing big plays, and their offense was explosive. And I think that if they can use some of that momentum that they had from that game and the influence and the motivation of like the spirit around the school with Tyler Trent and his bone cancer and his fight against that, I think that they will be able to pull off an upset here. Uh, Iowa's going to be missing two of their starting defensive backs, and they lost a heartbreaker last week at Penn State where they uh, blew the game in the final minutes with a interception in the red zone. And it was just because their players weren't lined up. They weren't ready. So I think if Purdue can capitalize on maybe some, some hanging heads, a little bit of lacklusterness, I think that they can have a really, really good chance of upsetting uh, Iowa this week. Yeah, I'd like to see Purdue upset Iowa, um, just because, like you said, it was like a feel-good team. You know, they don't really have—I mean, they don't have any shot of you know any any playoff this season. But they beat Ohio State, which a lot of people were hoping for. Uh, so 
definitely it'd be cool to see Purdue continue this run that they're on. So that'd be super cool to watch. You have a score prediction for this one? Uh, I think it's high scoring. I was not a super potent offense, but if Purdue can get their playmakers the ball and start running around the field, I think it could be 42-35, something like that, because Purdue really does have a dynamic offense. All right, next matchup we have is Missouri versus Florida, and you think Missouri can potentially upset Florida. I do, and I'm always getting burned by Missouri because every week they play a big team like Alabama or Kentucky. I'm always saying in my head, you know, Missouri could win this game because Drew Locke is a really, really good quarterback. He's like Will Greer. He can throw the ball around anywhere, anytime, and he can really pick apart a defense. But Florida's got a really good uh, secondary, and like we saw last week, Georgia fans, um, their pass rush is also really good with Zuniga and a couple of those other guys. So I think that if Missouri can get the ball out of his hands quickly and he makes good decisions, then they have a pretty good chance at at least staying in this game late. And that's when it will get interesting. Their defense isn't great. Um... Alabama picked them apart. Georgia picked them apart. Um, But Florida doesn't have a great offense. Like I said earlier, um, in that Georgia game, Felipe Franks was was questionable. And Dan Mullen brought in Emory Jones a few times to try and spark the offense. And if you don't know who Emory Jones is, he's Florida's backup quarterback, who's um, one of their recruits who's really, really good. I was impressed with what I saw last week. But if Missouri can stop Florida's running game and force them to pass, Felipe Franks can make mistakes, and he will make mistakes. So um, with Missouri's offense and Florida's one-dimensional offense, who isn't really explosive, I think this game could get a little interesting late. If um, they can stop the running game. I I have been too infre- impressed with Missouri this year, um, and I've been very impressed with the way Ford has been playing. Um, but I really do think if Missouri is on and Florida is slightly off, Missouri has a good chance of winning this game. Um, so if Missouri's on and Florida's off, what do you think the score? you have a score prediction for this one? Um... I'd say something like 31-14 or 31-17 is definitely possible, especially if Missouri's on because they've got the weapons on the outside with Drew Locke to sling it all over the field. All right. Well, thank you very much for your college football insight. Um, That wraps up the college football stuff. We'll move into some NBA, and we'll have Colin stay with us, and he'll be giving some more of his opinions on – some of this upcoming stuff because although he is a college football enthusiast, he also enjoys a lot of other sports. So we'll jump into some NBA stuff right now. Last night, the Timberwolves beat the Jazz 128-125, to and Derrick Rose absolutely tore it up on the court, dropped 50 points, and basically says to Jimmy Butler, you sit on the bench, I'll take over now. Um, you know, I... 
I think Jimmy Butler's being a little prick about um, not getting traded. And I think it's one thing to request a trade, and it's another to sit here on the bench and watch your team. You're still a part of this team. You haven't been traded yet. You need to help your team. And, and I think this is a huge turnoff to other teams who want Jimmy Butler. They want, they want the leader Jimmy Butler. They want that guy that was in Chicago who was a leader, who was kind of, you know, that silent leader who would play very well but keep his mouth shut. And now he's turning into a, a Joel Embiid where he likes to voice his opinion and nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares what Jimmy Butler has to say. They want him to perform on the floor. They don't want to see him run his mouth. And the conversations that they have in the locker room and with his coaches need to be private. And he can't be talking to the media like he has been, in my opinion. Um, I think Derrick Rose really... I mean, Derrick Rose is pushing for that six-man award this year. That's his goal. Which I think, after seeing his performance, I don't want to say he's at the top of it, but he's he's climbing. He's climbing. So keep an eye on Derrick Rose. Um, and, I mean, it was really good to see Derrick Rose come out and perform the way he did after being, you know, injury so injury prone for so long. And he still sort of is. But, I mean, that's a career-high 50 points for him. And it's on the tail end of his career, not even in his prime. So... I think we got a whole lot more to see out of Derrick Rose. I agree, and I really hope that he has a good year this year because, you know, a player who won the Rookie of the Year his first year then wins the MVP, the youngest player to ever do it, in the fashion that he did where he's jumping all over the place. He's fun to watch. He brings some life to basketball. It was good to see him succeed and come back from those injuries that are really, really bad. Next game that we're going to highlight was last night's game, uh, Lakers versus Mavs. Lakers fended off the Mavs, 114-113. to 113. LeBron led the charge, as usual, with 29 points, and he put the game to bed with the winning free throw with 2.1 seconds left. The Mavs were down here for a while, and they really held the Lakers' offense and pushed at the end to get this to a close game within the final seconds. I mean, it was tied, and then LeBron, you know, hits that that, that free throw to put him ahead. Um, so, I mean, it it's a fun game to watch. It's, it's always fun to watch the Lakers with the characters that they have. They have Lance Stevenson, LeBron James, you know, uh, Brandon Ingram, who is – throwing punches earlier in the year. Rajon Rondo doing the same thing. Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely an interesting crew to watch play. Um, as well as the Mavs, who have, you know, Luka Doncic, who is just getting started, and um, Dirk Nowitzki, his career is winding down. But he is, you know, a Hall of Fame player, and it's always fun to watch. You know, a hall, of, a hall of Fame, a future Hall of Famer, go go up against another future Hall of Famer in LeBron James. Um, so I mean, Dirk's a great guy. Super, super cool matchup right there. Um, and it was on Halloween. LeBron dressed up as I think it was Jason. 
I can't remember. Jason or Michael Myers. Yeah, it was, it was it was one or the other. Um, so cool to see the players having fun. Uh, but yeah, Lakers fended that game off one hundred fourteen to one hundred thirteen. Yeah, I think the Mavericks will be an interesting team to watch the next couple years with their backcourt being Luka Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. And they got DeAndre Jordan this offseason. So I think uh, with a few more pieces, they could become a real contender in the West, yeah. even with Golden State's incredible dominance. success yeah. and dominance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have a couple of games on tonight that I'd like to highlight. We got the Bucks versus the Celtics going on at 8 p.m. We got Giannis Antetokounmpo um, up against you know Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. I mean, it, it's it's a great Celtics team that have been underperforming this season, but I still think they are overall a good team. The Bucks, however, are just tearing it up on the floor um, this season. They, I, f- I don't exactly know what their record is. I'm gonna look that up right now. I've been impressed with the Bucks, how they performed, especially when no one's really been expecting it. We all know that Giannis is an emerging superstar, and they have a few more pieces around him. But I wouldn't have expected them to be, you know, a seven and zero team, seven and zero top of the East team, right? Right. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're seven and zero, first in the Central Division, and I mean. The Central Division isn't great. They got they got the Pacers and the Pistons. I mean, Detroit's Detroit's not bad, but I definitely think Milwaukee's going to run away with this one in the Central. They're seven and zero. Super excited to see if Boston can dethrone the Bucks tonight. Um, I mean, Boston's five and two. They're I mean, they're they've they've been getting better. And they're starting to mesh, and it's really fun to see Gordon Hayward playing on the floor now. Um, so yeah, that that game's definitely one to look out for. I think I think the Bucks continue their success tonight, and they beat Boston. Um, so I think the Bucks will improve to eight and zero, and the Celtics will fall to five and three. Um, but that's just because I like to see Giannis. And his his success. I mean, he's he's a phenomenal player, and he's absolutely just tearing it up on the floor. And he's a great guy. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very interested in that game. I think that win would be a big statement for Milwaukee to beat what everyone would say is either the top contender in the East or top two with Toronto. Um, to beat them and become eight and zero would be a big statement for where they are and assert some dominance in the East. Definitely. The next game we are um, recommending that you guys watch or keep an eye out for is the uh, the Pelicans versus Trailblazers game on at 10.30 tonight. Um, that game I am very interested to watch because New Orleans has been pretty good so far this season. They're 4-3, and three, but of course Anthony Davis He's averaging 25.2 points per game, and he's shooting almost 50% for, uh, field goal percentage. Um, so, I mean, he's always a dominant player in the NBA. And 
facing off against a very good Trailblazers team. I think this game is going to be fun to watch. Damian Lillard's averaging almost 30 points per game, and he's over he's 50.4 field goal percentage. I think I think the Trailblazers. I don't want to say they run away with this game, but they definitely win. I think they win by 10 or more. Um, but, I mean, it's always fun to watch Anthony Davis play. So, I mean, that's all I got on that one. Yeah, the Pelicans, they're an interesting team because Anthony Davis is really one of the top players in the league, and he'll be in the MVP discussion again this year. But other than him and Drew Holiday, there really isn't that much going for him. I think, I'm pretty sure they got Buddy Heald. No, he plays for the Kings? Uh, Cavs. Uh, no, wait, that's, oh, that's Rodney Hood. Never mind. Yeah. Forget it, forget it. So, they've got a couple young players, but I don't think it'll be enough going forward and in this game because Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, they're really, really talented scorers, and I think they'll control this game. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Trailblazers will win this game. Uh, Pelicans, I, they have Alfred Payton as day-to-day, um, so we'll see if he plays. I mean, he's he's a good player. He's not, you know, somebody that's going to, like, be a game-deciding player. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you know, he he averages, he's like, 28 minutes per game. He's shooting 50%. Um, and, I mean, 11.6 points per game. He he can definitely, if he's on, he can definitely put up a performance. So, if they have the Pelicans, I think this, or if they have, if the Pelicans have Alfred Payton, I think this game could be a little bit closer, but he's listed as day-to-day. So, we'll see how that one shakes out, and we'll see if he plays tonight. Anyways, um, those are our two games that we highlighted to watch for tonight. Um, the next thing is I made some predictions on Tuesday about what I thought was going to, how some games were going to play out. And uh, here are my rights from Tuesday. I didn't have any wrongs for NBA. Uh, there, here are my two rights. I predicted the Celtics would beat the Pistons, and they did by a very close margin, 108 to 103. And I also predicted that the Raptors would beat the 76ers. I really like to see Kawhi Leonard in the lineup in this one, considering he sat out the day before. And I think he was really, his presence on the floor was really a deciding factor in this game. Um, Although it wasn't very close, the Raptors, you know, beat him by 17. Definitely, um, Kawhi Leonard has def- definitely has something to do with uh, with that team. Um, so we'll transition into the NFL now. Not too much going on in the NFL. Uh, we got Thursday night football on tonight. Uh, Oakland Raiders one and six versus San Francisco 49ers, who are one and seven. I will not be watching this game um, just because it's. I don't know. It could be a close game, but they're both just sloppy teams with not a whole lot of talent. Um, so when you see two teams like that go at go go at it against each other, it could be an interesting game. 
Um, but Oakland's cleaned their house. They no longer have Amari Cooper as a target. And with Amari Cooper, they were 1-6. Without Amari Cooper, I mean, I that I don't know what they're going to do. Derek Carr, I, I don't know what Derek Carr is going to do. I don't know how this offense is going to play. Um, but then again, I don't know how the 49ers offense is going to play. They have not been. I mean, the 49ers as, as an overall team, not very good. Um, but, I mean, two not very good teams, like I said. It could be close. you have any, any input on this one? Um, I agree with your thoughts about Oakland. I mean, Martavis Bryant and Jordy Nelson are they're pretty good receivers, but... Derek Carr has been playing great, and their offensive line has been really bad. And that's affected Marshawn Lynch, too, who isn't in his prime anymore, but he still should be a serviceable running back at this point in his career. And it's just it's a sad situation in Oakland. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they were a playoff team, and I thought that you know they were going places. Mm-hmm. With a couple of draft picks, they could be you know challenging the Patriots, the Steelers for... Definitely for dominance in the AFC, but it's gone downhill. Yeah, especially after giving up Mac and now Amari Cooper at yeah. the trade deadline. Um, they really, I mean, they're, they're, they literally clean, they're going to clean house is what, what their plan is mm-hmm. and go into sort of rebuilding mode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the 49ers win this game 30 to 21. Um, not much, not much there. I think that's a little generous. Um, for the for the Raiders. Um, I mean, if they can get into field goal range, that's... I don't want to say it's lucky for them, but they're not... They're, they're not a great team. So. Yeah, I, I would agree with 30-21 to 21 being somewhere around where the yeah. score is tonight. Yeah. And then, um, just some league news floating around. Le'Veon Bell hasn't played at all this season. Is still holding out. He said he would be back during the off... Uh, or the 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 bye week, uh, he didn't return, and he is still holding out. And there are sources that are saying he could hold out for the rest of the season, which I think is not smart on Le'Veon Bell's part. Um, I think the whole situation is just ridiculous. I think I don't know. I just Le'Veon Bell is full of himself, and you know. They're playing the Ravens, which in the past, when they, the when whenever the Steelers have played without Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers have played better against the Ravens without Le'Veon Bell on the field. So we'll see how this one goes. I mean, James Conner has been a phenomenal running back for Pittsburgh, and I think I mean Le'Veon. I think he's scared. I think he's scared about James Conner replacing him. I don't want to say. I mean, he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, sort of. They he he wants more money is what he wants. I don't think he really cares about who he plays for. I mean, of course, he wants to play on a a, a contending team, but he wants money. Is that's the whole reason he's holding out, and he thinks he deserves more money. And James Conner is, you know, sort of overshadowing Le'Veon this season. He's played very well. Um, so I think Le'Veon is scared, and he's still, he he's at the point where Pittsburgh's like, we don't need you, man. We got James Conner, and he's still, you know, he's still like, no, 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 you guys need me. He he, he isn't realizing 
that he's not worth the money, in my opinion. And I think he's still holding out and he's still trying to make a point that he is just as good and even better than James Conner and that Pittsburgh needs him. Yeah, I think if James Conner had had a worse year, we would be talking about this situation differently right now. If James Conner had been, you know, mediocre and they had been struggling a lot, then I think Pittsburgh would have been more inclined to give Le'Veon his, men, his money. But, as you said, James Conner's been going off, honestly. And that puts Le'Veon Bell in an interesting situation because the Steelers aren't going to give him the money that he wants because they have someone who's way cheaper that is performing at or above his level. Right. And Le'Veon only has until week 11 or week 13 to report or he can't play for the rest of the season. So he only has a few weeks to decide if he's willing to take the franchise tag and the money that goes with that, get some experience, show the teams that he can still do what he does, and get ready for the next offseason. And if he doesn't do that, then it'll be tough for him next offseason because, you know, he's going to command, or he's going to ask for a lot of money. But teams won't know if he really had the impact that he had in Pittsburgh because he's a good player or if the scheme and the offense is what made him who he is. Right, yeah. Um, I, de- I definitely think teams will be – I mean, I mean, Le'Veon is really, really messing himself up if he doesn't report um, because teams probably won't be willing to take that risk and pay him that much money for a guy that they don't know if he'll perform at the same level as he did in Pittsburgh. Anyways, that's pretty much it for the NFL. Uh, We'll transition into some Major League Baseball. Giants legend Willie McCovey passed away today at the age of 80. So rest in peace, Willie McCovey. Um, I mean, absolute legend for the Giants. Um, So it's real sad to see see him go. I mean... 80 years old, he definitely, definitely was around for a while, but, I mean, it's it's sad to see a legend like him go. Um, and then, since the MLB season has been winding down and we're in the offseason now, we'll talk about some hot stoves, hot stove stuff that's been happening recently um, so far in the offseason. The Nationals have signed Trevor Rosenthal, closing pitcher, to a one-year, $7 million deal with a 2020 option. I think this is a... I don't know how I feel about this one because I don't think the Nationals will compete with the Braves next season um, unless the Nationals make some serious moves this offseason, and this is just one of the many moves that they make. Um, Bryce Harper is a free agent, so we'll see... What the Nationals can do, I think the Nationals are looking to compete again this season, but against a a, a rising, you know, a, there are a lot of teams that are that are rising in the East, like the Braves and the Phillies, who already dethroned the Nationals last season. Um, you know, I think Nationals are going to get a run for their money next year. Um, just like they did this season. I think Braves win the East, and Rosenthal doesn't really help them 
in the way that they need it. But unless this is one of, like I said, one of the fir first of many moves that they make this offseason, if they don't make any more moves, they will be lower in the East than they were last season. They came in second uh, as the Phillies went on a skid at the end of the season. So the Phillies were in second place, and then Phillies went on a skid, like I said, at the end of the season, and the Nationals took second place. And I think they'll be third if the Phillies can make some moves this offseason and play at the level that they did last year, and they'll, uh, they'll even play a little bit better, in my opinion. Um, then the Braves, uh, another another deal. The Braves um, acquired Rafi Lopez. He's a catcher that played for the Padres. Uh, we're giving we're, we have getting Rafi Lopez for cash considerations. I don't really see a point in doing this because I heard talks that we would be that Yasmani Grandal is on the market and we would be going after Yasmani Grandal or JT Real Muto of the Marlins. I don't see a reason for Rafi Lopez who did not play very much last season and played triple-A ball for the majority of the season. Um, and when he was in the majors, he hit a buck something. He was, he was in the 100s. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting to see what the Braves are doing. Uh, I trust Alex Anthopoulos to uh, to make some moves and make the Braves better for next season. Um, I'm excited to see what they do this offseason. Um, so, I mean, that's just the first of many moves that we will be making this offseason. And then um, two, um, two, two players that played in the World Series this year. One for the Boston Red Sox, one for the LA Dodgers. We have David Price deciding to stay in Boston, and he will not opt out of his deal. He will stay in Boston. He publicly stated, I mean, he, he was very emotional after the Red Sox won the World Series, and he publicly stated that he wants to stay in Boston and win more championships in Boston. So he will not opt out. He'll stay, he'll take the money. And um, the next player is Clayton Kershaw is going to decide tomorrow if he will if he will opt out of his contract with the Dodgers. In my personal opinion, I think he will. Kershaw's getting tired of losing. He's getting tired of losing in the postseason, and I think he'll look for other teams and he'll get paid a lot more earlier. And I mean, he 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 performed very well in the playoffs. Um, better than past seasons. So I think, I mean, even his performance in the regular season, he'll definitely get paid and he'll get, he'll look for a contender. I think he'll opt out. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Kershaw, I think he needs a change of scenery. If he gets to another team, another contender that has, you know, they have the opportunity to get in the playoffs I think that could help him just changing the culture around him to help him succeed a little bit more in the playoffs and get that bad air around him that he's not clutch. He's a choker in the playoffs. I think that some of that could help him if he opts out. And he'll get more money, like you said. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. So thanks, guys, for listening. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening, and I uh, want to thank Colin for coming on today um, on short notice.
and helping me out with uh, talking about some college football stuff and you know all the sports, but definitely definitely expanding my knowledge on this college football. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys, for listening, and I will catch you guys on Tuesday.